Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. This podcast is all about real women with real stories about real hope. And we are so excited when some former speakers from other episodes recommend new speakers for new episodes. And that's what's been happening so much lately. Sandra, if you're listening out there, thank you for sending me so many great women after you visited the Christian Writing Conference, because we have so many new guests who are going to be sharing their life stories and also some of their work. So tonight we get to welcome Diane. Diane, thank you so much for coming on and taking time to share your story with us. As always, we're going to start with just a brief introduction. If you'd say hello to the listeners, and then we will dive into your story after that. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much. It really is truly an honor and privilege to be on the podcast with you. I am the founder and director of Living Waters of Hope, and we are a nonprofit ministry to help restore hope and dignity to victims and survivors of domestic abuse, and also to equip the faith community to do the same, because one in four Christian women are impacted by domestic abuse, and that's a big number. It's really a shocking number. I I think so many women, the first time they hear that, are kind of in disbelief. And maybe thinking, well, that can't be right. That statistic can't be right. For those of you who are part of the Calvary Mac family, uh, that's where you know we we kind of launched this ministry from. We've made that a really strong focus, and we really want to be available uh, for women who are who are going through this, whether it's a, a current season of your life or maybe something that you went through decades ago, and there's still some healing that's needed. Before I ask you to sort of start over with the beginning of your life story, I always like to just put that little warning out there, you know, for some women, some of these topics can be emotionally triggering. You might also have little ones around with ears that maybe aren't quite mature enough for some of these topics. So if, if that's the case for anybody, just kind of know that this is some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. And if you need to come back and listen to this later, we encourage you to do what you need to do and hope that you will definitely come back though and hear the whole story because it is a story of hope. And speaking of hope, that's in the title of your work of of this organization. And so you had said something the first time we talked that I just, I just loved talking about how your, your passion becomes your purpose, but even before that, your pain becomes your passion. And then that can become your purpose. That's got to ring true for so many women, regardless of the topic, regardless of the story. So we're going to hear your story of what pain you experienced in your life, how that became a passion and and your purpose right now and how God's using your story. I'm, I'm so excited and thank you again. So Diane, will you start back at the beginning and give us the backdrop of your childhood and we will uh, go from there. Yes. Um, First, I just want to say I've been married 41 years to my best friend, Ray. I just want to start off with that because I'll be talking about abuse and I'm not a victim or survivor, but I I have a wonderful servant leader husband. So I grew up in the suburb of Philadelphia for most of my life, really. Uh, Well, until I was 23. I had four brothers. We went to church every Sunday, but I don't think I listened very well because I really did not know where Jesus fit in. And I really wasn't very interested. I think because we were made to go to church. 
but I did have like a good works theology from my parents. Like, well, if you're good enough, like you just have to be a good person. So that's how I grew up. At 23, I went ahead and moved to California to go to college. Well, I had gone to college for two years in Pennsylvania. I got out for three and work because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I figured it out at 23 <laughs> and moved to California to go to college for three years at Cal State Long Beach for any California listeners out there. During those three years of college, I met my husband right off the bat. He was in the corporate world and we met where I'd been working in a restaurant, trying to work my way through college. But even as importantly, and really more importantly, I met Christ. You know, at that three-year, well, it was two and a half years that I, you know, I was graduating. I was in love. I was going to get, we were getting married after, after I graduated. I had a job waiting for me and my career. I mean, everything was great. But I felt a deep emptiness inside of me. And I knew it was spiritual, but I I didn't know what piece was missing. Long story short, a couple gals asked me one day, if I died today, would I go to heaven? And I said, yes. And when they asked kind of what I would say at those pearly gates, I said, well, I'm, I'm a good person. And so the first time they are sharing with me, that um, it is not by my works, but it is through God's grace, and that I could never be good enough, because we all fall short of perfection, the glory of God. And, um, you know, they shared with me that Ephesians 8 and 9, for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, boy, that really was so freeing to me. And by the end of the conversation, I had accepted Christ. But I have to say, you know, on one hand, it's like, well, I'm a good person. But on the other hand, it's like, but I'm doing these things in my life that I know are not pleasing to God. And I know they were wrong because I was brought up a certain way. So I knew that, well, maybe I had to clean up my act first. But again, uh, they explained that grace covered all that. And that was really, that's 41 years ago. I was 27 years old. It was a very significant time in my life. And two months later, we got married. And Ray was not a believer either, although he grew up in another denomination, thinking he was a believer. And when he began reading some of the materials that were left for me, he realized that he did not have that personal relationship. So within... I'd say maybe three or four weeks, he also made that decision. So we began our marriage, you know, just newbies (laughs) in the Lord, which was just, it's just been an amazing journey. So I found that missing piece and we got married Uh, within a year. We moved to Dallas, Texas. Ray uh, had a job change to go to another corporate office. Little did we know what God had in mind and it was a good thing. Because two years later, we felt called into ministry, the ministry of Christian camps and conference centers. We had experienced that through the church we had uh, been attending, and we had these wonderful experiences there. And we really felt our heart called and pulled to families and marriages. So that was the vision God gave us. We we both had that. There's a long story behind that, but I'm not going to go into that. So two years later, he ended up going to seminary, left his job, went to seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary. So who would have guessed moving to Dallas that had a a city with a seminary and there he was going there. 
So at 30 years old, um, I entered full-time ministry with my husband, uh, again, Christian Camps and Conference Center. And uh, we had just adopted our daughter, Lauren, a couple months before that. So she was three months old going into our first uh, camping situation. And just on the side of kids, Lauren is 36 now. We adopted David three years later, and he's 33 now. And nine years ago, we actually grafted in another daughter. She is 30. I met her when she was 21. And sometimes God brings people into your lives that just need a second family. And I'll just leave it at that. So she has two families and we're one of them. So anyway, you know, God creates our families. He does. Adoption is such a picture of the heart of God. And couples who adopt end up there for so many different reasons. And I know there's probably a much bigger story, but I was just curious if, you know, even, even just for one minute, if you shared how you and your husband came to that decision together, of we're going to, I mean, I know the, your third adoption came much later, but early on as a, as a young married couple choosing to adopt the first two. We were unable to have kids. So uh, we tried other options, but nothing really worked. So that was really, that was the only way we could start a family. And so we adopted Lauren and David both when they were infants mm-hmm. and just like thanking the Lord that their moms chose life. And yes. because that's how we became a family. So beautiful. You know, each of them have their stories and, and their birth parents have their stories and mm-hmm. Sometimes I wish I could just pause and go into every story that got interconnected and figure out how the, how all the dots connected. And it'll be so neat someday in heaven to go, oh my goodness, God, how did you do this? How did you interweave all of these different stories so beautifully? So wow. what really? an amazing, amazing thing. So at this point in the story, you have, you have two of your three children and mm-hmm. in your early thirties and kind of about to enter a season of minis- uh, further ministry, correct? Right, right. So we worked together. It was, you know, great. We had to figure out who who was good at what to make that work fine. We moved around the country. He was often directing uh, Christian camps, um, always found ones that had family conferences because that was our heart. There was a time that we stepped out of ministry for five years. And I'll, I'll talk about that later. Part of our ministry life was as uh, he became an associate pastor at one point, And I was the pastor's wife. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But ministry life is kind of our overarching comment is, you know, there are great rewards and there's great sacrifices. And sometimes there's great pain. There are many lessons that I learned and I really grew personally and in my faith. Some, some of our greatest joys are really seeing God working in and through the ministries that we were part of and, and the staff that we kind of were shepherding and the guests that would come. I remember uh, driving to Crescent Butte. This was uh, maybe a second year into ministry. And we went to start our own family ministry. We we're going to do a couple of family conferences in the summer with some existing facilities up there. And Ray was asking me on the way up, well, do you think you'd ever want to lead a Bible study? I said, no, no way. I don't think I think I could ever do that. So I just say that because there are times that we say no and never to God, but he just laughs at us. So I indeed did end up leading a Bible study in that area. But anyway, so we go up and uh, we had a pastor friend that was very interested. He had kind of a heartbeat for Christian Camps and Conference Centers. And he said he'd be helping to raise 
a lot of the money because if we're doing a couple of weeks of family camp in the summer, we couldn't really be working. And I had Lauren as a baby. We had, you know, Lauren was three at that point. So we had David like within our, well, by the second summer we had David. So Ray only could do seasonal work, which, you know, is not a corporate salary. Well, within this first six months, we realized that our friend was indeed not raising support, nor did he even send us anything. So we felt a little stranded financially just because of our situation. So we, I mean, we were, did raise some funds, but it, it was very tight for us personally. But we saw God work. I remember one day I ended up with a hole in my jeans. And it was my only pair of jeans. And I'm thinking, we can't afford another pair of jeans. And I felt a little distraught. I was embarrassed. Uh, I'm thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? Like, And then the phone rings. And a friend of mine a couple of doors down from where we were living said, Diane, my sister dropped off a bunch of pants. And they're not quite my size. Would you like to take a look at them? I said, sure. <laughs> well, yes. So I had not one pair of pants, but several. And that is how I've seen God work so many times in our lives. Another time we had those moments where we were just really, really kind of down to the pennies. I mean, I was counting change in our place. And uh, I think, okay, I don't even know if I found $5, probably three or four. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to nutritionally feed my kids? Do I get a dozen eggs or do I get peanut butter and jelly and some bread? And then the phone rings. It's another friend. Diane, I just did a catering job and I'm driving back to Keller Springs three hours away. I really don't want to drive with all this food in the car. Can I drop it off? Would you want it? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. I said, sure. So we a, had platters of all these great hors d'oeuvres. And <laughs> I mean, and that got us through that time where we, we were literally counting our chains. So we see God working in amazing ways. And even the pastor's wife, that was such a joy to me. But I have to say, when my husband first asked about that, he, he was approached to come on as associate pastor. Would he throw his name in the hat? And he, I just said, no way. I could never do it. Like a pastor's wife? You know, I can't play the piano. Because uh, at that time, that's all I knew. All the pastor's wives I knew, they played pianos. They were counseling. I uh, that is just, I, I felt super inadequate. Long story short, a lot of great miracle stories. We end up in the pastorate. <laughs> and, you know, that was really a joy, truly working with the women, working with college students. That was definitely uh, a place of joy for me. So all to say, you know, nothing is impossible. And God is so faithful, even when we say never and no way. Now, our greatest pain really came from brothers and sisters in Christ. We had a few specific times and some specific ministries where there was a leader who stepped down after decades and Ray stepped in and they did not, and they were still woven into the ministry. And sometimes their kids were grown adult kids. So that did not go over well. This was very new to us, controlling behavior. And we were lied about. We were treated poorly. We or letters sometimes going out about uh, my husband. They ruined our reputation and our character in front of 
the whole constituency of certain places. Now, one of the places the staff was looking on, and of course, there some of the staff were like, oh, we've been praying for someone to come here like you. And the other staff weren't. So by the time we left this one situation after two years, full of joy, but yet full of deep pain, all the board members resigned except for one. It had gotten so bad and uh, over half the staff left because what was done was so wrong. But all to say, you know, can we experience firsthand what power and control, what that behavior can do and, and how hard that is kind of as a victim where we couldn't really do anything. But this is what we learned. God knows the truth and that's all that really matters. I mean, really, we had to surrender our right to be understood. God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, as it says in Isaiah 55, 8. Because it's like, Lord, what in the world? We thought we'd be here for like 35 years, you know, that, that long-term director. But it was two years for this one. And we were happy to leave. After he released us, we left. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 became kind of our mantra for the rest of our life. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Because sometimes in life, things just don't make sense. We're serving the Lord. We're, I mean, we're, we're giving our all. And it, sometimes bad things happen when even in your best attempts to do what God calls you to do. So again, we had the five-year break within all that. We moved to Canby 17 years ago in 2005. After the five years being on ministry, we got back in again. I said, I will never be in ministry again. <laughs> Uh, but there we were in our car <laughs> heading to Oregon from Colorado. I just and, imagine God's got to laugh every time we say the word never. <laughs> right. And I also said I would never live in the Northwest because <laughs> it's so rainy and Colorado is like sunshine. Well, right. We're on our car to Canby, Oregon, where he became the director of Canby Grove Christian Conference Center. And we did that for five years. And again, just depending on miracles, the board had no idea how they, there was, they were $1.5 million in debt. We knew that coming in, but they had no idea how unsustainable they were. They had told my husband, cause I was in the last interview, you're going to be in the black and, you know, just the beginning of the summer, we're starting in May that all that, you know, you'll have enough money to have all the bills paid. We won't have to keep taking loans out Well, he gets there. And he tells the board chair after uh, two weeks, he said, you know, with all the income this summer, by the end of the year, you will be, we will be $450,000 short. He didn't even believe Ray until he saw the numbers. <laughs> so here we are again, <laughs> you know, with that financial stress. And if anyone has had financial stress, it is like no other stress. So here we are trying to right the ship. Uh, get things in order, which which Ray did a great job of. But there were times where the first two years are really hard. And one day Ray asked Mike, our accounting guy, uh, Mike, is there enough money to pay to pay the staff payroll? This was the this was the conversation over two weeks in the first two years. Well, for the first time, Mike said, "No, we're forty thousand dollars short." So Ray said, "Okay, let's meet and let's see which of our suppliers, you know, we can pay maybe later." Maybe it's a 30-day pay and we can see, and maybe some can work with us. 
Well, at the same time that they were meeting, Shelly, one of our staff at the time, was in Salem picking up some printing. She picked up the printing and the gal gave her an envelope. Well, Shelly, you know, got to the car and opened the envelope. Well, guess what was in there? A check for $40,000. I know. Well, this is a story behind that. The print shop was owned by a Christian and we would go there, right? We'd pay for the printing, but he would always give us a check for a higher amount. But we never knew when those checks would be. But at that same moment that Ray was meeting with Mike, Shelly was picking up the check to cover. God is so amazing. And that's where we grabbed onto Ephesians 3.20 because we depended on this uh, when we moved to Canby. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us and to him be the glory. I mean, there's no one but the Lord that can do this. So we learned in ministry that there's sacrifice, there's surrender, and there's trust along with the joy, but there's all those other things that we really had to learn well, I want to talk about our season of family because there, there's so much going on. I had to kind of break it up a bit. So it's 30, right? I started full-time ministry with my husband and we started our family with Lauren at three months old. So family life, again, great rewards, great sacrifices, and sometimes great pain. I learned many lessons and I grew personally in my faith. I was a stay-at-home mom. I homeschooled our kids for most of their years. Things were fairly normal in our family until our daughter turned 11 and everything turns upside down. And I mean, upside down. Now, I want to say that today we have a wonderful relationship. She's given me her permission to share her story because mm-hmm. she says, mom, if it'll help anybody else, that would be really meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And she even shared like a year or two ago, I don't know who that was back then, like you know, she can't even relate to, to who she was back during those teen years. But I will tell you, those first five years were the darkest in my life. I had never experienced being treated so horribly by anybody. Psalm 23, he restores my soul. I had that written on the kitchen windowsill above the sink because I so needed to be reminded all day long that God was going to give me the strength to do what I needed to do as a mom. Well, two years into that time period, Ray and I tearfully stepped down from ministry. We tried to do whatever we could to find the cause for Lauren's deep, angry, uh, rebellious heart. And we thought, well, maybe, maybe it's ministry. Maybe she feels like she's in a fishbowl and it's not well going well sacrifice, surrender, trusting the Lord. Cause we, that was when we were in the pastorate and we love that. Ray was the chaplain for the police department in our little town. He, he loved that. Well, he had to step down because we had to call them to help find Lauren <laughs> when she was disappearing and running off at night. Well, four years into this five year period for me, and being the constant target of her rage. And I do have to say, you know, we went to counselors. We took her to a psychiatrist. We had community agencies involved in our family. (laughs) 
And we did find out within a couple of years that her birth mother was doing cocaine and drinking during her pregnancy. So Lauren has a bit of a chemical. There's some things going on there. She was extremely rebellious. She sought high-risk behavior along with that rage at home, again, mostly at me. So that was five years of really dark stuff. So four years into that, I felt like I was disappearing into the darkness, dreading getting up out of bed to face another day. I knew I was in an unhealthy place and needed to do something. And I knew that I needed to get reconnected to God. So when I told my husband, I'm going to leave for a couple of days. And he looked at me bewildered because I've never done that. I just walked to the bedroom and in silent desperation, packed some clothes, took my Bible, a few of my favorite cassette tapes of praise music. That's how long it it was and how old I am. (laughs) I packed up several speaking tapes on the sacrifice of Thanksgiving and praise because I wanted to do it right. I wanted to do it right. I didn't want to add to the harm and pain my daughter was feeling. I wanted to do it right as a mom. I was determined to find myself and reconnect with God in my faith. I needed God's strength to continue this painful journey. And he was so gentle. He was so faithful as he met me in my brokenness. So the first day away, I just cried and cried and cried, letting out my grief, my frustration, my anger at my daughter for treating me so horribly. The pain I felt questioning God, why, 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 why? So we could just love these little babies and they turn out okay. But nature is different than nurture. And she actually was taking the path that her birth mom did, which is crazy, but that's what was happening. I remember asking God, tell me again what love looks like. Mm. I was so numb. I looked up at the high cliff across where I was staying because I was in Uray. And if those of you, you who know Uray, it's a box, they call it a box canyon. The town sits at the base and there are cliffs straight up all around it like you're sitting in a box. So I looked at one of those high, high cliffs as tears are pouring down, asking God to please show me what love looks like. That's how uh, I just was so broken. And I saw a horizontal line of snow along one of the ledges because it was spring and in Colorado, you still have snow. (laughs) Then I saw another line of snow and a vertical crevice crossing the horizontal line, making a cross. God tenderly reminded me that love looks like the cross, that Jesus surrendered his life for me and my sins. He sacrificed his life for my sins. He trusted his father and said, not my will, but thine. In that beautiful moment through the snowy white image of the cross in the cliff and through my tears, I found clarity, hope, and strength. After immersing myself in praise music, solid teaching, and God's word, I was able to take his light 
and his strength with me as I returned home to the darkness again. Psalm 34, 18 says, God is near to those who are brokenhearted. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. And he indeed did those for me as I drove back home. It was the night before Easter. Mm. And I walked home and my daughter said, mom, I'll never do that again. And by midnight, she had snuck out of her bedroom window again. So I'd like to tell you that God fixed everything in our family, but that was not part of my story because it would be another 12 years before my precious, beloved, prodigal daughter would get the help she needed. Listeners, I hope you're catching not only Diane's heart, but what she did and then what God did. Because you you might not have this exact same story, but I imagine many, if not all of you, have been in that season of darkness, of brokenness, of questioning why, especially if you think you've done something so sacrificial, so loving, so so good, so godly. And then why is it kind of turning against you? One of the things you did, Diane, that's so wise was to get a little Mm self-care and to get that self-care in the presence of God. And you even laid out what you did, that you went somewhere, that you had praise music, that you had uh, cassettes, you had teaching, you know, you, you went to him and let all of that just soak into your mind, your heart, your soul, so that you were prepared to go back. And, you know, our life is not a Hallmark movie. It's, it's not, it, we, it doesn't just turn around like that overnight. So what you're sharing is so real and so raw. So back to our whole premise of this, the, the, this entire podcast, every episode, here's a real woman with a real story of suffering, but it's a real story of hope. And, and so listeners hang on, there's some, some amazing passion and purpose that, that does come in the, in the coming chapters. But I just wanted to park on that because I hope, I hope our listeners can maybe find some tangible things to do when they're in that season of complete brokenness and honestly injustice, like things are just unfair and they hurt. And what do you do? So thank you. I like how you said, but, because, but God (laughs) is part of my story and it's part of many stories in the Bible and we count on those, but God moments, don't we? Right. That's a, that's a project for somebody out there. Read through your whole Bible and highlight every time it says, but God. Mm -hmm. So you had another 12 years of a wait. Mm -hmm. Now, eventually we're going to have a, but God moment, but Getting there. We're going to get there. Hang on, ladies. We're going to get there. But let me let me hand it back over to you, Diane, so you can pick up the story. Okay. There are times that we did not know where she was or if she were dead or alive. We had to work through that, wondering how we would respond if we got the call that they found her body in a ditch. Hmm. We had to truly release our beloved daughter into God's hands saying, not my will, but yours. We wanted to be ready for that call, sacrifice, surrender, trust, not my will, but thine, Mm -hmm. unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness, leaning in, 
Around the age of 22, she unknowingly entered a relationship with a very abusive young man. Now, the pain we felt was for our precious daughter being mistreated and abused. My husband and I felt powerless because she was still so emotionally distant. And we didn't really know much of anything. We just only knew bits and pieces. But we did know she was in trouble. And, but she was afraid to leave. And she was afraid to stay. Unfortunately, as most, well, as some controlling men do, she was pregnant right off the bat. So she said, Mom, I want my kid to have a dad, which is Lauren's very compassionate. So, of course, that's what many women want, but that is a tactic of controlling men. So uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that she would be safe. And when she would talk about leaving later, she would tell us he would So I'm going to get a rope and tie to the tree outside of our apartment and hang myself. She felt trapped, alone, and afraid. She finally did get out of that frightening relationship after a couple of years, but not without unsettling time of being stalked and receiving intimidating and threatening messages. She is lucky to be alive today. But she was still not ready to get the help she needed. We were hoping it would be, but more surrender, more sacrifice, more trust. Father, not my will, but yours. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I love desires for my daughter, but sometimes God fulfills those desires in a way that we're not expecting. This is my but God story. I was unable to help Lauren, but God showed me who I could help instead. I began volunteering at Shepherd's Door, which is the women's division of the Portland Rescue Mission in Portland. It's a one-year faith-based program to help women um, get their lives together, like I said. These women were fresh out of addictive living and abusive relationships. I loved working with these women. I loved telling them how much God loved them. I was helping someone that was so healing to me because I couldn't help my daughter. And around that same time, God brought other women into my life. I've never experienced this before, but over the next several months, maybe three or four or five months, I had probably four or five women come to me who were in abusive relationships. And like Mary, the mother of Jesus, I pondered these things in my heart. Thinking, Lord, are you telling me something? And God reminded me. He said, Diane, you've been writing and teaching Bible studies off and on for years. I trusted that God would equip me for what he called me to do because I felt very inadequate. The Oasis Bible study was birthed to teach women about domestic abuse, what God had to say, and to gently lead them to a place of restored hope and dignity. God used all of my experiences, good and painful, to prepare me to do his work. All the journey with my daughter, the controlling and abusive people in ministry, working at Shepherd's Door. Um, He had equipped me, writing and teaching those Bible studies off and on over the years. But, you know, at the same time, the same time, within a couple of days, I get a call 
from Lauren's lawyer in Oregon. Get back home to Oregon. We have court in a day and I need you here. I packed my bags that night. I was on the plane the next morning and left Pennsylvania. Thankfully, one of the women who was in the class uh, agreed to lead it. And so I was writing <laughs> every week and sending her lessons. And the three gals, the two that were, two of the gals that were in that initial class had become facilitators since then. <clears throat> and uh, another gal that Carly was also one of our facilitators over the years. So God is so good that the, the uh, multiplication exponential factor is just amazing when you really reach out and um, just help other people. Here's another, but God, Lauren was in trouble. She is now 27 years old and was at pretty much the bottom of the pit. But God reached down after 16 years of her rebellion towards him and us. He gently grabbed her hand, carefully lifted her up out of that pit and made a way for her to get the help she needed at Shepherd's door. Of course, we told her about that years ago, but she wasn't ready. Mamas, our girls have to be ready to get the help they need. There's a verse I'm going to share, but I'm going to speak it as though it was for my daughter. Psalm 42 to 3. He brought her up out of the pit of destruction, out of the mud, and set her feet on a rock, making her footsteps firm. He put a new song in her mouth, a song of praise to her God. <clears throat> she is finally able to reach a place of surrendering her life to Jesus once again, where he could begin to heal her broken heart mm -hmm. and her hurts and her pain and her regrets. Psalm 147.3 says, Jesus heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He wanted to do that for her, to me, and to our family. I praise the Lord, and I'm happy again to tell you that she's doing well, and we do have a wonderful relationship together. The healing continues, but that seems so far away, except when I write my story and have to share it. <laughs> and I realize I need more healing, and I thank you, Jessica. It really has been a journey for me. I can truly say that I'm thankful for all the heartache and pain through that darkness and the trials in my life, because that's how God made me who I am today. I'm stronger, I'm wiser, and I had to go through that and learn these things in order to find and fulfill my true passion and purpose in life in this season of my life. God made me who I am today. He gave me wisdom and experience in abuse. And again, this is a reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. But how do we make it through all that? I look back and I ask myself that. It was only God's grace. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason. There's, there's no way I could have done that on my own. God's grace is woven through every part of that journey. His thread is woven in gold. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need 
The verse does not say that God is going to fix everything, but it does say he will help us through those times when our hearts are breaking and we so desperately need his grace and mercy. So as I reflect on my story, here are some things I've learned. God is faithful. His word is true and gives life and hope. You have to be intentional about your walk with God. You never know what a day will bring. Love involves risk and sacrifice, but love anyway. He knows all things and is always working out his plan and purpose for your life. God will give you the grace for what he allows in your life, whether it be challenges as a parent, it could be healing from domestic abuse, it could be work-related issues, health issues, loss issues, childhood abuse issues, relational issues, and the list goes on, doesn't it, ladies? God will equip you for what he calls you to do, whether your mission field is a stay-at-home mom with your kids, a light in the workplace, or to serve others with your gifts and abilities in a ministry. The last point you made that you learned that, that God is going to equip you for what he calls you to do is so true. And I know how many listeners probably feel like they have a heart for something, but they don't feel like they can do it. And if that is what God has for you, guess what? You can, well, you can't do it by yourself, but he can do it through you. And if you'll just let yourself be the vessel, um, kind of the pipe, uh, the conduit that he can use uh, for this ministry. And, you know, at the beginning of the episode, we talked about pain, passion, and purpose. And Diane, you've shared a very painful story. And I do want to thank your daughter so much for being willing to allow others to hear her raw story because it uh, it will help somebody. I know that. I know someone else has this story. Maybe it's as the mother, as the mother, or as the daughter. And someone else out there needs to know that she's not alone, mm-hmm. and that there's hope. Well, the story doesn't really just end there because your pain did turn into passion and purpose. And ladies, we mentioned that we're you know talking about such a hard topic. We're talking about abuse. And there are incredible resources available. And Diane, you were trying to figure out what to do with this pain turned into passion. And what format, how did God create you? What what skills and talents and giftings did he give you? What calling does he have for you? And as I understand it, living waters of hope and everything that you've that you're doing now, it sort of came through the format of a Bible study. And I was hoping in our, you know, final minutes here of the episode that you'd be able to share a little bit about living waters of hope, what you do, how women can get connected as always listeners, everything that's mentioned, we will have in the episode notes. There's no way we can cover all of it within the ending of this episode. So I hope you'll take some time and look through the resources that Diane's going to mention. But with that, will you tell us a little bit about living waters of hope? Yes, thank you, Jessica. We are a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. Um, Again, uh, restoring hope and dignity to victims and survivors of domestic abuse and equipping the faith community to do the same. You know, again, I'm going to say it again, because these are shocking statistics. One in four Christian women are impacted by domestic abuse. That's a problem. There's another problem in that our faith leaders are not equipped, many of them, 
uh, in the era of domestic abuse, nor really are many of our brothers and sisters, right? Well, that creates another layer because our women, when they go forward to get help, if there's a pastor that does not understand domestic abuse, he assumes it's normal marriage conflict and gives the stay praying submit, just forgive him answer, which is very harmful to a survivor or a victim. So we have, you know, this is happening in our churches. So if a gal leaves her husband, she will end up leaving her church if she does not have supportive faith leaders. And sometimes they leave their faith. This is happening in our churches across the country. And I praise the Lord for the leaders, faith leaders who do have training. We have have faith leaders who refer women to us. And I just love that. But we have a problem in our church and you can be the solution. You can be the solution. You can tell your pastor about some of the things we have coming up. I'm going to tell you about in a minute. You can be the solution by learning more about domestic abuse. And we have an opportunity for you. And if you're a survivor, we have an opportunity for you to get help as well. So October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So we do a lot of activities in the fall. September 20th, we have an online pastor summit where we, it's free online. We can work with faith leaders anywhere. We have a panel of faith leaders that will be talking about relevant topics for faith leaders. It's a faith leader to faith leader event. October 4th, we are kicking off our Oasis Bible study. We have a fall, uh, winter and spring um, sessions. We have five classes and I'm just excited to tell you that I do one class, but the other three are led by survivors and who've also gone through our OASIS class. So you will be well-loved and cared for and understood. So please consider joining us. We would love to have you. Please don't suffer alone. God loves you and he hates abuse and he has never intended his daughters to be treated that way. For those of you who are not in a harmful relationship, I wanna encourage you to become what we call a hope giver. A hope giver gives hope. That's the support person. Be that safe friend. I had friends come to me. I was like in my late 20s. They came to me with some of their marriage problems. And I did the the whole normal marriage conflict response. And I, looking back now that I, when I became older, like, you know, 10 years ago, I'm realizing, oh my goodness. They were in abusive relationships, but I didn't know the signs. And I gave them horrible advice. They pulled away from me because suddenly I'm unsafe because I'm not really hearing what they're saying. I didn't know. I didn't know if they knew it, but there are signs you can listen for. I can cry to this day at the thought of hurting them and making them think they had to stay in the harmful situation. We have October 17th to 20th, a Hope Giver Essentials, where you can learn what not to say, what to say, how to look for those signs, and just understanding the basics of domestic abuse. It's for support people like you to be a safer friend, more confident, and more knowledgeable. You never know when someone's going to come up to you and and disclose to you about their marriage. I want you to be ready, and again, not, not live with regret like I have by saying the wrong things. The need is great, gals. The need is great for knowledgeable support people. You know, we also offer a free weekly newsletter. I write that and it's an email. I write that each week. And this way you just get bits and pieces of uh, domestic abuse information. It's for support people, although we have a lot of survivors, you know, also um, that that, uh, are on our list. 
But that way you can just take five or 10 minutes once a week and just gain a little nugget that will help you understand the complex dynamics truly of domestic abuse. You know, the question to ask your faith leaders, you know, do you have a faith-based resource for the women who are struggling? Uh, whether it be arms, whether it be living waters of hope, there are other ministries are they're growing, praise the Lord because there really are not that many across the country, which is why we do what we do. The need was so great 10 years ago. And thankfully, you know, I think COVID has raised domestic abuse to the surface and it's, it's in the news, you see it in movies, it's in social media and pastors are realizing more and more that, oh my goodness, it's in my church and I don't know what to do. And they don't have to know everything. They need to know a few things but at least they can re refer women to some healthy and good resources. And we are, our Oasis Bible studies are online. So, you know, we help women all over the place. We get calls from all over the country, but the Hope Giver Essentials, we're going to, it's a week long, it's self-paced. You will be receiving four 30 minute videos to watch at your convenience during the week. And then I will meet with everyone in a live Zoom call and just answer any questions you might have. So it'd be fun to meet you. If you come and do that, tell me, hey, I, I listened to that podcast. I listened to your story. I, I would just love that. <laughs> we <And> do. <laughs> on another note, you know, if you are hearing this and you're, God's pulling your heart like he pulled my heart to begin writing a Bible study, because that was kind of the lane he had me in and the skill set he gave me. If you're thinking, boy, I really would like to help these gals. We are always looking for facilitators because we are growing, growing, growing. And I just would hate to have to tell a gal, you have to wait three months for our next class, you know, because when they call, they're usually in a pretty desperate place. They, it takes a lot of courage to go with their faith leader. It takes a lot of courage to tell a friend what's going on. It takes a lot of courage to call or email us to ask about the classes. So we are always looking for facilitators. We always would love to have a couple of gals in the wings so that we can open up a class when we need. So we can continue to meet these gals who are desperately seeking help. So just let me know. Uh, Jessica has all the information you need. And yeah, we love the Lord. We want to help women understand the love of the Lord as well and that they are loved and help many of you who are listening either get the support you need or learn to be a support person. There's a need. I remember someone said to me when I was teetering, should I do this or not? And I said, Diane, the harvest is ready and the workers are few. That is what domestic abuse work is like. There are many women that need us to come and gather them up and love on them and tell them God's truth. But there's so few people to do it. Please, please, please pray and ask how God would want you to be a part of being the solution to our wounded sisters. And if you, you know, can't do many of these things, I could speak for arms as well as Living Waters of Hope and other ministries. Help us with your finances because we're all donation-based and primarily. So there are many ways that you can be part of the solution because you, again, I, I was at a Bible study just the other day, sat next to a gal, Within 10 minutes, I find out she's a domestic abuse survivor. I didn't know her. We just got to talking. I could hear some of the signs. You never know when God's going to bring someone into your life. And you want to be ready with words of hope so that she 
can take the next step and find some options to get to a safer and healthier place. I think you just hit the nail on the head. You want to be ready with words of hope. And in closing, I always ask our speakers to pray over the listeners. I don't think there's any better way to end this than to say, Diane, would you pray words of hope over the women listening? Yes. Father, thank you so much for our time together. I know that those who are listening are listening because you have drawn them to press yes on this podcast. There are survivors that need to know that you love them and that the abuse in our life is not their fault. There are support people that need to be encouraged to to take a step of faith and be more knowledgeable that we can help our wounded sisters. Father, I pray that we will all learn how to grow in your word, to grow in your ways, and to learn and to love others well. May you bless those listening, Father. May you help us to serve others well with the, and may we be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to those around us. I thank you for the love and mercy and grace you give us to enable us to be those wounded healers to those around us. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much for taking time to share your story, to go back. We know how hard it can be to go back into those dark years and really relive them. You you remember those moments and obviously the emotions are still there as they are for many of the women listening as well. So I appreciate that. I want to thank you on behalf of the listeners as well for being open because we know women needed to hear it. Thank you for all that you're doing with Living Waters of Hope. We love hearing that there are resources and people out there who care and so encouraging to know that even women who haven't experienced it directly mm-hmm. are still being called by God to care about those who haven't. And you certainly experienced it indirectly. And I know a lot of women will relate to that. Maybe it's a best friend, a sister, a mom, a daughter that they're just watching helpless. Mm-hmm. And and I love that you've given some practical ways to help to make a difference and to be ready with those words of hope. So Ladies, we hope that you were blessed, encouraged, that you learned something, that you were impacted, and that you can uh, take those words of hope with you for the rest of this week and beyond. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, and we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com women. Calvary Mac.